What's up, coaches? Thank you for checking out Keep Your Pads Down, podcast for the men in the trenches. Today we're talking to Coach Braden Cobra, the D-line coach and special teams coordinator at my alma mater, Huntsville High School in Huntsville, Texas. Coach Cobra's been in Huntsville since 2014. In 2018, he helped guide the Hornets to a 12-2 record, saw them go all the way to the state quarterfinals. Before coming to Huntsville, Coach Cobra coached defensive line at Coppers Cove High School from 2002 to 2014. During that time, the Bulldogs made two appearances in the 4A state championship game in 2006 and again in 2007. Today, we're talking to Coach Cobra about some of his everyday drills and how he coaches up his D-line in their four-man front. We're also getting a little bit of pass rush, so if you like talking ball and specifically talking D-line play, then look no further. Coach Tober, first of all, congratulations on an outstanding season. You guys uh, were twelve and two, and and if I if I'm if I got it right, I think it was the deepest postseason run y'all had in, in, in twenty eight years, which is is amazing. Rolled all the way to the state quarterfinals, and tell us how that was uh, going on a run like that in a town that was really hungry for something like that. What was this past season like for you? I tell you what, we we have been talking to. Uh, these group of kids, this the senior class and the junior classes that are with them for several years now, they were they were really successful in junior high and the sub varsities coming up there really successful. And we've been talking to these group of kids about how they were a special team. And they they came out and they bought in right from the get go. Coach Southern scheduled a pre district schedule that most teams wouldn't have scheduled. He knew the talent we had. And he scheduled Fort Natchez Grove. He, he scheduled College Station, who were our other couple, um, Willis. And everybody sees Fort Natchez Grove in the run they had last year. Right. And and they were picked, ranked high in the state. And we went down there. It was a long bus ride for us. Got delayed by lightning before the game even started. Our, our kids handled it real well. And we came out and... Offensively and defensively, we we absolutely put it to those boys. And when we when we won that game, you could see something in those kids' eyes that like, you know, we we do have a chance. You know, right. there was something there was like a little I don't know what you'd call like a justification or just a realization that those kids saw that we just dominated one of the best teams in the state right. and one of the best quarterbacks in the state. And from then on, they they were they were all in. And playing College Station was a great challenge for us. You know, I'm not one to, I'm not one to complain about the referee, but that game was a little bit of a struggle for us on that aspect. We had two touchdowns called back. Oh wow! One of them was an inadvertent whistle across the field. We had a scoop and score for a touchdown. It was actually our free safety, Jaden Schroeder, picked it up and is is going to the end zone. Everybody on our sideline, the referee, every scores signals touchdown, and the referee on the far side on their sideline comes out and said he had an inadvertent whistle. Wow. And it was, it was frustrating, but at the same time, sometimes you need to, you need to be down a little bit so you can see where you can make adjustments. But overall, man, the, the community support for, for our team this year was, was just amazing. You know, we, we, our last game of the year, we actually rescheduled one day, because of the of we were expecting weather on a Friday. And we made an announcement on Twitter, Facebook, 
everything, our, our local um, newspaper, and said, we've got to move the game. This is, Grant, this is on a Wednesday. We got, when we're telling everybody we got to move the game to a Thursday, and the response, we, we were selling tickets. We sold like 1,500 pre-sale tickets that afternoon, people coming in and just really coming in. We walked out. The school we were playing lived maybe 30 minutes from the stadium, and we outnumbered them by, I mean, it was at least three to one with the crowd. Yeah. I mean, the, the crowd this year was, and the community support was just absolutely awesome, and I felt like it kind of pulled this community together. Yeah, well, as an ex-Hornet and, and uh, someone who grew up in that town, uh, it was a lot of fun keeping up with you guys and, and, and watching you every week. I know you are always the first team that I checked uh, after our game on Friday nights, and, and it was really exciting to be able to keep up with you all from a distance. And I know that you all are looking forward to what you got coming back this next season. But, Coach, tell us a little bit just about your coaching background and how all that got started. I know you're not from Texas, but – You've been here, I think, for most of your career. So tell us how all that got started. Yeah, we, I had a plan to teach and coach and everything in New Mexico, actually. I, I have a friend that I grew up with who's also from Lovington, New Mexico. His name is Darren Worrell. And he actually got a job at a junior high in Coppers Cove. And I was actually still in, in college. I had one semester left to do my student teaching. And he called me and said, they have a position open if you want it. They'll work around all your schooling. And I said, well, let me just... Let me go down there and interview. So, you know, Lovington's, I don't know, six hours from Coppers Cove. So I just basically jumped in my truck, drove down there, met with the principal, met with met with the head coach. And they basically put me on a contract, salary contract, and they and I had to I had to come I had to get a a, a professor from a local college around there to come observe me a couple times and they just basically considered that my student teacher. Wow. Wow. So I was kind of throwing the fire, but at the same time, I think it was a good thing also because most student teachers don't get paid, you know, right, and, and right. I was in a situation where I was getting paid and I was also doing that. So, so yeah, right out of college or even before I was done with college, I, I started in Coppers Cove and was, was at the junior high for a couple of years. And then from the junior high, took a, a varsity position coaching linebackers up there. And then after that first year, of coaching linebackers, I moved to D line and have been there ever since. And the experience I had at Coppers Cove was uh, athletically was priceless because Jack Welch he ran a very very good program. It was it was almost college like and with everything that we did up there. We had some success there as well. Well, yeah, and you got a, you had a chance to be around a lot of great <laughs> players. You know, RG three is the name that everybody's going to know coming out of Coppers Cove, but there were some other great guys there also, right? Yeah, and uh, Josh Boyce, and the thing about Josh Boyce is when I was at the junior high, uh, he was in seventh grade, and then when I went to the eighth grade, he went to the eighth grade, and then when we went to the high school, I just remember talking to those guys, and it was, it was a group, the group of guys that we were coaching at the junior high at the time was the same group, you know, three or four years later that went to the state championship game. We always talked to those guys. If you keep working, somebody in this group's going to go to the league, and it ended up being him. Wow. And he ended up getting a Super Bowl ring. But, yeah, he, he was one. And we had several that had little stints here and there in the NFL. Uh, Breland Chancellor played at University of North, North Texas and uh, was a return specialist there. He has all kinds of records at North Texas. And he had a little bit of a stint with the Pittsburgh Steelers. Logan Brock, who's actually coaching over in Madisonville right up the road from me. They actually live in Huntsville. He had 
a little stint with the Houston Texans and the Carolina Panthers. Okay. So there was there was a stretch there where they were, we were putting out a lot of a lot of great athletes and even more, you know, going to the next level and playing college from high school. So they had a they had a good thing going. Well, and, and y'all were two time state finalists there. Uh, where your Copper Grove is that is that correct? That is correct. We we that was um, I want to say oh six oh seven those two seasons and uh, had great runs and just came up short. You know, the one year was playing against Lamar. And they had a running back by the name of Jaquiz Rogers. Oh yeah. And and it did. I didn't feel so bad. I mean, he the game was pretty close, and Jaquiz broke one on us, and late, which kind of sealed the deal for him. But then a couple of years later, I'm seeing Jaquiz run all over USC's USC's defense, so yeah. I didn't feel so bad. Right. Yeah. And of course, he's in the league now, also him and his brother. So they 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 went on to have good careers, also. But. And then the other the other game was against um, Alamo Heights, and that was back and forth, and we just had a few mis mistakes in that game, and it cost us. But you know, it was fun. It was a good run, great experience. You know, and I'm hoping to get back there soon. Well, so from from Coppers Cove, you came over to Huntsville, and you've been there for how long now? I'm on my fifth year right okay. now, and uh, we uh, I had, had had known Rodney, of course, Coach Southern, our, our head coach. Uh, was in our district when I was at Copper Scope. He was the head coach at Belton. Uh -huh. And he decided he was going to take that Huntsville job. And I also knew the defensive coordinator at the time, Thad Harris. He had worked with Rodney in the past also. And then I just talked to Thad. And I felt like it was time for, for me to go experience something new because, you know, right out of college and you've only been in one place, you're right. kind of limiting yourself. And then, right. And, so I wanted to get out there, try something new. I knew coming to Huntsville, we were going to be trying to rebuild, taking over a team that was two and eight the year prior, and just trying to get things back to, you know, how they were back in the day in Huntsville. Right. And you know, the first the first time we come out, and that first summer we we're there, we've got you could you could count how many some how many football players are coming to summer strength and conditioning, which was fresh. You can count them on one hand. So. You know, we had to change some some ways of thinking there. And, you know, our track team at the time only had about eight or ten guys. And after that first full year there, that first season, we make the playoffs. Uh, we lost in the first round, but it was a it was a good starting point for us and trying to get things kind of turned around. Because one thing we, we stress in Huntsville, which I'm sure a lot of good programs do, we stress powerlifting and we stress track mm -hmm. in the offseason. And after that, after that first year, that when that next track season came up, we won the district and track, we won the area meet, and we won the regional meet. Wow. Well, I, I don't know if we won the regional. I know we won the, the district and the area, and it's been going on, uh, been, been climbing it and getting better ever since. And now our offseason in the afternoons and our, our powerlifting program and, and our track program, are, our numbers have increased. And, of course, our summer numbers have really increased because those guys are starting to realize – you put the time in the summer, you're going to see the results that fall, you know, and they, they do a good job of holding each other accountable. And, and we've got a good group of seniors that are doing that right now in our off season. Well, that's awesome. That's an awesome thing to see, to be able to, to go from a point where there's not much buy-in from kids. And now, um, you know, there's, you know, in a, in a really a, a short amount of time, you'll be able to turn it around and, and change the culture there in a place where, 
you know, people had been, that's a, a program that had been down for a while and, and really needed a, uh, a wake-up call, and, and it sounds like you guys got it going. Uh, and there's no, you know, like, like you're saying there, there's no uh, secret sauce or anything. It's just a lot of hard work and, and commitment to the process, and, and uh, you guys are perfect examples of, of what happens when, when you get everybody pulling in the same direction. So you, you, uh, you guys are 425 over there. So talk to me a little bit about your, your defensive front. Um, what, what, what do you like about it? What are, what are some keys to being successful uh, with that four-man front that you guys play? Well, every year we, you know, at least up front defensive line-wise, we try to evaluate uh, the guys we have coming back. And it's a lot of that, a lot of our talent, what talent we have coming back and what skill set they have is going to determine a lot of what we're going to be calling, you know, in the spring, for our spring football and what we're getting ready for. This year I was fortunate enough to have a, a, a D-line that was – uh, it was one of the best lines I've ever coached. We'll just put it that way. I've been doing this 17 years, and they, this this group right here, and the guy and the mentality they had, and and of course T kind of being the leader of that group, they came out and um, really took control of offensive line and, and took over the line of scrimmage when we needed it. But one thing we're looking for, you know, D line wise, I, I'm looking for two bigger guys in the middle and basically our two defensive ends are, are almost like outside linebackers. Bryson Hayes is the one coming back from this past year. And he's right now, he's about six, four, about two fifteen, two twenty, And he's going to get moved over to the other side where T was playing this year. And we're going to move in another guy in where he was playing our quick side uh, defensive end. But we we're looking for on the ends, quick uh, athletic, uh, we the, our our quick defensive end. Uh, we will adjust certain defenses and drop him back as a linebacker, and we'll basically line up almost in a. Well, it, it, it's a three man front. Uh -huh. So we, we want to be able to do that without having to make substitutions. You know, okay. we want to be able to keep the same personnel we have, and if we went in a long passing down situation, and we want to play coverage. We'll go to that three man uh, rush and drop our bandit, who's our quick side defensive end, and we'll drop him into coverage. So we're looking for speed on the outside and a little more beef on the inside. And that was one thing we were fortunate to, to have this year. And, and I'm thinking we're, we won't have the same size uh, this coming back year, but we'll be um, we'll be much faster up front this year. Well, that, that's uh... – you know that's bad news for those those guys in your district um, because you know, your defense this year allowed uh, an average of 13.1 points a game I think is what I read and and for those who don't know when 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 you're talking about T that's Devondre Sweat who is the um, uh, your defensive end who was the your district's MVP in the, in the University of Texas commit is he has he already enrolled at Texas or is he going on no he, no and and he decided he wasn't going to do that he's he's a multi-sport athlete and right now. Um, they're winning the district championship tonight. They're they were undefeated in district. He's a he's a integral part of that that basketball team. Oh, okay. Okay. So it, it's keeping his feet going. He's staying in shape. Okay. And uh, so yeah, he's that's what he's doing right awesome. now. And of course, he'll just he'll enroll this summer and this fall okay. to get awesome. over there. Yeah. So uh, you mentioned you know having quick guys and uh, outside and, and and on the inside. You know, I guess for. Um, for, for the guys who are listening to this saying, hey, that's great, but I don't have a kid that's 6'4", 215, that we can drop off and, you know, play the flats or, or whatever. Um, what are some, you know, maybe some, uh, maybe some intangibles or things that don't necessarily 
uh, fall under the, uh, the measurables category that you're looking for out of those defensive ends and out of those inside guys? Well, one thing, and, and this is what, what I was mentioning earlier, if we don't have that size and we don't have that particular skill set, what you're talking about, a lot of times we're going to be moving up front. And what I mean by that is we're going to be stunting, we're going to be shifting. Just to, and the, the way I tell those guys is the offensive line can't block, but they can't touch. Right. So that's one thing we work on every single day. We work on our stunt steps. We work on our dip and our rip because I'm, we've been in situations, and, and a lot of times that's how it is in our JV. Uh, we don't have the same size, so when I'm calling the defense on the JV, I'm doing a lot of twists, a lot of stunts, <clears throat> and, and trying to just confuse confuse the offensive line because that's kind of when I, when I think about causing problems, I, I feel like the offensive line is sometimes – one of the weaker points on an offense because you, you've got, you know, 16, 17, 18 year old kids trying to decide where is this guy going to be when the ball snaps? Right. Is he going to be here? Is he going to be there? And I think it causes a lot of problems. And so if you don't have the size or the speed, you know, for us, we like to move those guys around and, and uh, let them utilize uh, scheme more than anything. Than, right. Than, than just playing some base defense. This year, we, like I said, we were fortunate enough where we would go into a game, and I think uh, Coach Schroeder, who's actually speaking at a clinic tomorrow, brought up some stats, and I think he said 42% of our calls this year was just a base front defense. Right. Where we're, we're just playing and letting those guys uh, do their thing up front. Well, that's always that's always a great thing, especially for a defense coordinator when you're you know you're. Uh, taking care of business just out of your base stuff. Um, well, let's talk about those defensive ends specifically, then we'll work inside. But uh, now you, so, so you flip-flop your guys, you have a quick defensive end and a, you're a strong side, weak side. Is that, is that what you guys have? Yeah. Um, each, I mean, we, every team needs to kind of have a defense they hang their hat on. Uh-huh. And, and we're a field-based defense, but we do make adjustments, you know, depending on what, what the team has given to us because we have some – we have some defense that we call where we'll set the strength to the boundary if they're a heavy boundary team, right. and if they like to run the boundary. So, But primarily we have uh, uh, our strong side defensive end is called our dog, and our strong side inside guys are tackle. Our weak side defensive ends are bandit, and our weak side inside guys are nose. So they get lined up based on um, field or boundary, and, and we tell those guys that the ball is right in the middle of the field you know, what hand is the quarterback? Is he right-handed or is he left-handed? So if he's right-handed, we're going to call our strength to the left because that's primarily where they're going to be looking or vice versa if, right. if he's a left-handed quarterback. So, yeah, we're, we're a field-based defense. And a lot of the calls that we have, if we have a call for the strong side, we've got a compliment call for the for the, for the the weak side that so we can basically run whatever we want from either side. Okay. And are your, are your defensive ends, are they lined up in five shade? Yeah, and the strong side, if we get a tight end, uh, we'll, we'll play head up. Okay. Uh, we'll play head up in a six, and they're responsible for that C gap. But uh, And and the, the weak side, no tight end or anything like that, they'll be in a five. Or if it's just an open set, they'll both be in five techniques. Okay. Well, let's talk about that. <clears throat> so when you are when you have these guys come in, uh, come to see you, you know, it's, it's day one of spring ball or day one of fall camp. And you're working specifically with defensive ends. We'll get to the uh, defensive tackle noses here in a second. But when you're working with those guys on their alignment and their assignment, what are those things that you're telling them uh, day well, one of those camps? 
Well, the first thing we do fall, spring, you know, even during our off season, when we have time to go out there before we even get lined up for, for scheme or anything, we're, we're going over our block recognition drill. And what I do with that is I, I get these guys paired up and half of them, their back is to me. Those guys are playing the defense and the other half who are facing me. Those guys are playing the offense. And I just basically give them one of, one of, you know, two or three signals. It's either going to be a reach block, a non-aggressive block, down block, or a pull or a pass set. And we just basically rep that over and over and over so they can get used to the what they're going to see regardless of what position they're playing right. inside or outside. So we start – that's usually the, one of the first things we do. And we rep that, and that's that's basically helping us. And, and I think most – well, I say most, but I know one one problem we have is getting reached a lot. Yeah with our inside guys and, and occasionally with our outside guys. So yep. we, we stress getting hands on those guys and, and just making sure you're not getting reached. But we do that block recognition drill almost every day. As far as, um, you know, things like a stance or keys that they're reading while they're in their stance or anything, uh, are you, are you particular about how you want their stance, you want them in a stance or you just kind of let those guys do what feels comfortable and then, as far as pre-snap reads, are there things they're looking at that you're coaching them up to look at to help recognize those blocks? Well, one thing, at least this past year for me, because of the because of the talent I had on the defensive ends, um, I had them mix it up between a two-point and a three-point stance, uh-huh. and they was it was they had the freedom to, to do either, with the exception if we're running certain stunts, and sometimes we're dropping we're dropping our our dog we're dropping T to a middle hole player or whatever we're doing, we, we try to get into what I call ability alignment. And basically, we're putting the man hand down, whichever hand close to our man, that's the hand we're putting down that's going to give us our that hand down. That foot's going to be back a little bit, staggered a little bit. So that gives us the opportunity when the ball snap. I'm telling those guys, you're aiming for the V of the neck of that tackle. Coming off, shooting your hands to him, regardless of what the play is. Right. If you, if you shoot your hands and get hands on the guy, if he ends up kicking – for a pass, you can transition into a pass pass rush. But right. um, I'm telling those guys, man hand down, eyes up, see what's going on with the tackle, attacking the V of the neck. And stance-wise, I, I always what – I, what I tell them is I need some more weight on your hands. If if I was – if we're practicing our stance and I go and kick your hand out from underneath you, you need to be falling forward. Exactly. I don't, I don't, I don't want to have – any offensive lineman stances or right. anything where they're right. weight on their heels or anything. The only adjustments I make in stances if if we are running a blitz or a stunt and they've got to get a quick stunt step, I don't want a lot of weight on their hands because now they're having to push up before they right. go. So I'll, I'll have them a uh, little less weight on their hands if they're stunt steps so they can get a good quick first step. Yeah, that's a great point. That's a great point. <clears throat> I like what you said about you know the hands and, and, it's, and it goes right along with um, I know what we do with our guys is, you know, we talk about having eyes in the palms of our hands and letting that lead you where the, where the ball's going. And, and that, that'll uh, help you figure out, you know, what that lineman, offensive lineman is trying to do to you uh, much faster than peeking over the fence and trying to look in the backfield. Right. Um, and, and so when you, when you, uh, now moving into those inside guys, is there anything different that uh, you, you have a, you have a defensive tackle, I think you said is your, uh, is, you call him your boss? Three te- well, he's our three technique. Okay. So he's gonna be on the same side as our he's our field he's our field guy. He's gonna be in a three. So we got a three and a five to the field, and we'll have a two eye 
or a shade, depending on the strength of the guard. We, you know, one thing we evaluate when we're scouting or when we're breaking down film, one of the things, first things we try to point out is who's their weakest offensive lineman. And if it's the center, um, like when we played that, that second round, we felt like their center wasn't their best. I mean, he was big, but he couldn't move his feet. So we ended up, we were in a shade a lot of times for that game. And there's a, there was other games where he was in a two eye, and then uh, our quick side bandit playing a five and coming off the edge there. Okay, and, and with those inside guys, anything different with their stance or wider base, or is it all the <clears> same <throat> stuff? The same as the defensive ends with those guys? Um, those guys, you know, they're they are going to have a little bit wider base, and 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 nothing really other than that. You know, I, I'm always telling those guys get off the ball, get hands on your man. Hang on to your man if he's trying to go to the second level, but getting off the ball and, and that's the main thing, especially playing a really good zone team. Um, last few years we played Magnolia, Magnolia West. They their offensive line are, are always well coached and they're big and they zone real well. Uh, I want to say uh, on film, uh, Nacogdoches' uh, offensive line was 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 well coached in the zone part of it. And we got reached a few times, but uh, one thing I just tell those guys: if you get reached, just hang on to your man. Don't let him climb to the second level. And if you're hanging on, and we're getting two for ones, I, I can live with it. You yeah, know? yeah, exactly. Being a four-man front, you know, you're faced with the uh, the classic uh, issue of you know teams wanting to attack your B gap bubble. So do you guys do anything with your front to to help hide that, or move that around, or or disguise that to, to sort of keep offenses guessing? You're talking about on the on the weak side. Yeah, I'm sorry, on the weak side. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, we we play our base defense with a, with a three and a five to the strong or or a in a in a two eye or a shade to the weak side, and we also will play under, which basically going to okay. put our nose into a three. Yep. And a lot of times, with the amount of movement that we do, there's several there's several stunts where, at the snap of the ball, what's open will now become closed, but there's right. several stunts that we, we're going to stunt that defensive end into that B gap and bring bring that uh, inside guy all the way around. Or there's times where we'll just uh, blitz a linebacker through that B gap. You know, a lot, just a lot of different things that that we'll do just to keep the offensive line or the quarterback or the offensive coordinator they're guessing on, on what we're doing. But, yeah, we do, we do play an under if they're hitting us weak a lot. Or we'll, we have something we call 40 flip, which is not, you know, playing under is just basically shifting our two inside guys, you know, our, our nose to a three and our tackle to a two. If we go 40 flip, we're actually going to take both the strong guys and put them on the weak side and put the two weak sides to the field. Okay. So that, and, and with Bryson and T this year, defensive end wise, there wasn't any, any hesitation doing that because we knew Bryson could set the edge on the strong side just as well as he could on the weak side. Of course, T is T, and it could pretty much do yeah. do that on either side. Yeah. Well, so you talked about earlier. You mentioned that, um, you know one of the first drills y'all do is block recognition drill, and that's one of those things, kind of one of your daily drills that you do. Um, what are some other drills that, that y'all are doing, maybe on a daily or weekly basis, that you feel like are you know we got to do these if nothing else, you know, week in week out, doesn't matter who, who we're playing. You know, these are some drills that we gotta that that really um, help us be successful. Well, 
you know as well as I do this day and age with all the RPOs, there's a lot of quick passes and a lot of slit screen and wide receiver screens and middle screens for that matter. So we do a screen and draw drill every year, every year, every practice, a uh, couple times a week. And basically what it is, I've got the our, my 4D lineman up there, got a ball key, and I'm basically about five yards back in a shotgun position. And I'm giving them again uh, one of three or four keys, whether it's uh, – catch the ball and just quick throw to the sideline. The two play side guys are going to plant and go at a 45. You know, they're, they're simulating uh, a quick screen out to the wide receiver screen or whatever it is. And the coaching point that I always tell these guys is number one, when you're, when I, when I simulate that pass to the sideline, you need to plant and go at a straight. I don't want you rounding that, that cut because right, exactly. you're not, you're never going to catch the receiver. Cause he, what's he doing? He's turning up the field trying to gain yards. So I have them guys planting, cutting, going to 45, back up the field, uh, backside, uh, inside guys going down the line of scrimmage and then turning up in the, and actually our backside defensive end, I have them climb, which is basically going deep as the deepest guy. If the quarterback's the deepest guy, he's climbing up behind him, looking for any reverse or anything. If it breaks back wide and he's going back the other direction, we'll have him climb. But we do that a lot. And what I like to do is we'll run that drill and then when we're watching film on Saturday of the game before and we see a situation where that drill worked, I'll pause it. I say, what drill is this? So they can see why we do all of our drills. I, just, exactly. I, I, try, I try not to put a drill in there where they don't know why they're doing it. Exactly. Because I, I don't, I don't want to be a coach just out there doing drills just to fill up time and have a, play, a, a drill notebook that is 50 pages long. I mean, I do – I could probably count all my drills on one hand but every one of those drills has a purpose and those kids understand why they're doing certain drills, but screen and draw drills, what I call it. And we do that weekly. And, uh, we have a huge set of rings where, you know, we do our ring drills and that's basically more or less for pass rushing, you know, getting down. I, I we have those, uh, I don't know what you call them. We call them the crayons where you slide them on your arms. Oh yeah. And you, yeah. you can, you can, uh, give them something to aim for when they're clubbing and ripping. And so we're using that drill quite a bit, um, screen and draw, like I said. And, of course, I, I think the kids' favorite drill, and, and, and I like doing it just because it's competitive, is going down with the offensive line and just working one-on-one. Oh, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> well, and I want to get to that, get back to that in a second, your one-on-ones. Um, but I thought you made a great point about, and, and I think it's something I know for me as a young coach, it took me a long time to figure out, you know, you go to a clinic or you go, uh, you know, you hear someone speak and you see a drill that you really like or, um, and not that they're not good drills, but, you know, I know I, I spent a lot of time as, as again, as, as, you know, just starting out coach doing some stuff that I thought looked really, really cool. And, and then guess what? It wasn't, it didn't translate over the field. And, and um, I remember, you know, just, just realized, man, what am, what am I doing? And yeah. so I think, I think that's something to remember. We can get caught up with, with all these things you, know, you see on, on, uh, you know, Instagram or Twitter or whatever, you know, YouTube, that, that man, if those drills aren't showing up in the game, then, then you, you shouldn't be using them. And, right. and, and on that note, you know, there's a lot of drills you can create based on things and situations you're getting in a game. Hey, we're not very good at this. Friday, mm-hmm. We're good at this Friday night. Let's make a drill uh, to simulate that. So I thought that was a great point um, to remember when, you know, deciding what drills to do and what to keep out and, and, and that sort of thing. Yeah, one thing, you know, being in Copper's Cove, uh, Jack West, who was the head coach while I was there, 
you know, he, that was one of his big things, you know, because we had a coaching retreat that we'd go on every year and we'd get things situated for the year. We work on our playbook. We work on our, our drill notebook. We work on two a day schedule and, and just bonding as a coaching staff. And one thing he was big on is, you know, when he's walking around, you know, observing practice and he comes to your drill and he pulls one of your players aside and asks it, one of your players, what's this drill called? Why are y'all doing this drill? And your player couldn't answer. You know, he was going to have something to, to say to you because he wants to know why you're doing the drill. How is it pertaining to the game? And so that's something I took from him that I still try to in, in use today and, and making sure when if you have to, you stop the drill, you explain it while we're doing it. And then again, as we as the year goes on, I'll just ask one of my players as we're going, why are we doing this drill? Why are we doing fast hands, fast feet? You know, that's one thing we warm up with. And it, 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 it's a warm-up drill, but at the same time, I, I, I preach to these guys, you got to have good hands, you got to have good feet. And, and keeping those in mind, those kids usually know why they're doing it. And a lot of times, they'll put a little more effort into some of your drills and what you're doing. They know it's going to help them on Friday nights. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Well, explain to me what fast hands, fast feet is. Well, all all it is is we get in a, we get underneath the shoots, and it's just basically they're in a good they're bent knees, uh, head up, flat back, and they're just basically chopping their hands and chopping their feet as fast as they can for about five yards. We go there and back, and then we'll go lateral, just fast hands, fast feet, and then but the whole key of it is we're under the shoot, their pads are down, you know, and their hands and feet are constantly moving. And that's what I tell them. If you're if, if you dead feet get beat, what I tell them. You know, you just got to keep your hands and feet moving, uh, and see what's going on. So we we warm up with that. It's just something to get the blood flowing a little bit. Right. But at the same time, it had it does have a purpose. And you mentioned a shoot. How, how much how much time do y'all spend under a shoot um, in a given practice? Usually we start with it. Uh, we we do we have a little bit of a routine. We'll come out to fast hands, fast feet, and then we'll go to ball get off. And we'll, they're not completely under, they're about halfway under the shoots because we, our shoots are a little different. Um, it's just basically a, I don't know, maybe a 10 by 10 with a screen over it. It's just a yep. 10 by 10 square with exactly a screen over we it. Have. And we'll do our ball get off. We're, we're basically just watching the ball, ball key. I was really, really proud of my guys. I think I can think of maybe once or twice the entire year where we jumped off sides. And, and at that, it, we had the backups in. So I pride myself, and those kids pride themselves um, about watching the ball and uh, not jumping off sides. But that's that's part of our work with fast hands, fast feet, our ball get off. And when we're doing our ball get off, we also incorporate our stunt steps. And because uh, I always tell them, this is where we make our money. This is where we make our plays in the back. This is where we get our sacks, our tackles for losses. When we're stunt stepping and, and getting to the gap we need to get to and breaking down and making a play. Well, tell me, uh, tell me about a stunt step. Now, is that uh, is that you know, where you're stepping at a 45 degree angle, or, or is that? Yeah, that and, and like I said, when we, you know, Coach Schroeder, our defensive coordinator, he's and, and he calls our varsity. I'll I'll call our JV, and he's he's a little more conservative than 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 I am. I like to bring the heat. I like to do a lot of stunts, a lot of blitzing, and what if if we're stunt stepping, whether whether it's a, a twist or, or a blitz. I'm telling these guys to go ahead and even their feet up a little bit 
Um, usually they're staggered a little bit and got a lot of right. weight on their hands. If we're stunt stepping, I'm going to have them even their feet up, parallel their feet up, and not quite as much weight on their hand. And then on the snap of the ball, we're stepping at a 45, getting to the next gap, whichever gap it is. It could, if you're going from B to A or right. A to B or, or whatever the case may be, we're, we're trying to get there as quick as we can, dipping and ripping and get to that other gap as quick as we can. That's, I think it's a great point you mentioned, you know, evening up your stagger. That's something that it took, it took me a long time to figure that out because, you know, you start watching film and wonder why stunts aren't hitting and you see guys are crossing their feet over and they're taking, they're trying to go, you know, maybe they got their left, their left foot back and, and, and stagger and they're trying to step to the right and they're either, they're either false stepping or they're stepping, you know, they're crossing their feet, trying to get there. And, and uh, so it, it really um, – uh, it took me a while to figure that out, and and so evening up our stagger is something that we do also, and that's that's really worked, and that's I think that's a great point to bring up. Uh, kind of a small thing that you really may not even think about uh, right. when you're sending those guys, whether it be just a line, simple line movement or an X stunt or whatever. To you know, if they are um, if they are moving away from that uh, foot that's back, that stagger, they got to even up their stagger. Um, yeah, so and, and the, the the one thing I tell those guys, if if you keep that stagger and you stunt step. You're basically just you're not gaining any ground, yeah. you know. And when we do our stunt steps, we're we have our own little section of the field, you know, kind of like everybody does. Okay, D lines in this corner, right. linebackers, DBs, everybody. Well, we're on, we're in one corner. We we do that we do that drill by the goal line, so they're off the goal line a little bit. But when they step, they know they've got to step on that white line, yeah. so they can actually see the yeah. ground they're making. Otherwise, if they're stepping lateral. I tell those guys, if you're stepping lateral and, and you're not gaining ground and the offensive line is still able to reach you or even be head up with you, I tell them if, if, if they're head up, that's a win for them. I, I feel like you got to be in your gap, head in your gap for you to be successful. If you're head up, someone can still run through there and, and it's just not good for us up front. But I tell those guys, gain ground, you know, get to where you need to get to. And there's some guys that can do it from a – from a regular alignment, and there's other guys who are maybe not as quick. Where they, I tell them ability alignment. What's your ability? What do you have to do that when the ball snaps, you've got to get to your gap? If you got to cheat in a little bit to where if you're going from B to A and you've almost got to get head up with that guard, do what you got to do. But when that ball snaps and you got to stunt in that A gap, you better be in that A gap. Yeah, I like that ability alignment. I think that's a good, good way to uh, to phrase it. Uh, we sometimes say cheat for success, you know. Yeah. Um, make it easier on yourself. Um, let's get back to uh, and, and 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 we're kind of you know there, we could we could delve off in any of these topics and spend three hours just talking about <laughs> any of these things. But I'm trying to get you know, just a general overview. And so you mentioned um, probably the most um, you know if you were to pull any defensive line, and I know if you were to ask my guys, you know what their favorite drill is, it's it's one on ones with the offensive line. And so I know everybody has their own little way of doing that. Um, and, and, and kind of their own spin on it. So tell me about what y'all do as far as one-on-ones uh, with your offensive linemen uh, over that Huntsville. Well, usually before we head over to, to, to our um, one-on-ones, because we got to go just because just offensive coaches, offensive lines, I don't know what it is. They don't want to run down to your end of the field, so we're always yeah. down to the field. So before we go down there, we're usually working on a particular pass rush move or something that when we go down to the offensive line and I and I I'm I'm just as a coach I'm competitive and I get those guys I said we're about to go down there and I expect every one of you to whip their ass every time you're going against an offensive line I don't care what it is you beat them 
And I get that mindset going. We jog down there, and we usually have about 15 minutes. And what we'll do is we'll split that up seven and a half for one-on-ones, and then seven and a half of full line where the offensive line is working on picking up stunts. And we'll bring sometimes we'll bring some linebackers down there and so they can work on some blitz pickups. But a lot of times, I mean, I, I get I get it competitive with, with those guys down there. And if they lose one, I make sure they know about it. And if they win one, I make sure the offensive line knows they lost too. Right, yeah. And, I'll, and I'll, out loud, I'll be keeping score. All right, they're up 1-0. And as soon as you know they're keeping score or that they know you're keeping score, it usually picks the intensity up yeah. a little bit. And, yeah. Um, but usually uh, they got an offensive coach standing behind my guys, giving them a snap count. And – it's just one-on-one. We got a, 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 one of their guys catching the ball, and it's just I have them work on certain moves. <clears throat> and I, I tell those guys, especially defensive end-wise, you know, beat the guy with speed off the edge. Beat him with speed, beat him with speed, beat him with speed. And then you've got him on his heels a little bit. Then you can take that under move because he's going to overkick. Right. And then you can take that inside inside under move or spin into it or whatever the case may be. The coaching point I have on that, and, and it, it helps, it, it showed up on film as well. As I, I tell those guys, I need you pass rushing as fast as you can, but do not go past the quarter. Oh, yeah. yeah. Don't go to, stop at quarterback depth, then you can counter out of it, right. whether it's a spin or clubbing him pass or whatever. Because early on, you know, we, we were rushing, especially with Bryson. He was young. And he hadn't figured it out yet. He was, I mean, he was so fast, but he was going to get some good tackles. It would just wash him up the field and leave that rushing lane. Because a lot of times, I think we only played maybe one or two teams that we didn't see a rushing quarterback, you know, a dual threat right, quarterback. Right. So once that happens and they and then you open up a rush lane like that, it, it, it's frustrating. But he learned, he picked it up and was able to counter as the year went on. Right. Yeah, that's a that's a that's a common problem with those young guys. Is they, they get so keyed up, especially when it's third and long, and everybody in the stadium knows it's a pass, and and then they they, they beat the guy, but uh, you know they just run they run right past the quarterback, and 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 for us, you know, we, we talk about, um, and I'm sure you guys talk about this also, but you know, if you're going to go where your hips go, you got to get your hips open, and um, and if you keep them, if you keep your hips going straight up field, that's where you're going to wind up, and that offensive lineman is going to let you run up field and and get on that inside hip and just just run you past the quarterback, so. Um, but yeah, well, so talk about, um, do, are you guys, when you're watching film of offensive linemen that week, um, are you, are you coming up with plans for, Hey, this is how we're going to attack, attack their you know, left side of their offensive line or their left tackle or, uh, their center does this, or, you know, you're looking for tells, things like that when you're deciding how you're going to attack them with your pass rush. Yeah. As, as a coaching staff, we'll sit down on Sundays and we'll, we'll kind of do what you just said. We're going to, we're, we're evaluating that offensive line and seeing, it, it, uh, who's their weak point uh, size-wise? Who's their weak point in terms of, okay, this guy's a little bitty guy. We think we could take advantage of whether it's just putting a guy on him or blitzing him. And then as the week goes on, <clears throat> I'm watching it with my guys, and, and we try to pick up tendencies, tells. You know, we have certain – we have signs on our sideline that we use, and – Every week the sign may mean something different. Right. You know, we, we just we'll we'll decide, okay, if we're holding this up, this is what this means. It could be a personnel card, a personnel change, it could be a tendency that we see. So when we are holding up that sign, that whole offensive defensive line knew, okay, this is what's coming. And sure enough, it, it helped us considerably. 
And and those guys, once they saw that, they 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 were fired up. Right. They, they, I mean, it was something they did. They took ownership in it. Right. And so from that point on, it's almost like a game. What what else can we find exactly. on somebody else? Exactly. You know? Yeah, that's always fun when, especially like you said, when you get your your own guys, your position guys, um, you know, because as as a, as a player, I know I would just get caught up in just watching the offense, um, right. or watching the running back or the play, and 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 when you really teach those guys to watch, you know, watch that left tackle, watch that that left guard or the center, and you see those guys, you know, they just watch that, and they can a lot of times pick up on stuff that we don't because. As coaches, we're looking at a lot of things, and if they're just watching that one guy, they can pick up on those tells, and it is a lot of fun when, when you do come up with something and, and it's and it's something maybe they noticed and it works and mm-hmm. uh, it allows you to be successful. Um, you're right, that is, that's, that's a lot of fun when you're able to do that. Tell us a little bit. You had um, a high school teammate that, that some of these guys listening might have heard of uh, before, so tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so I, I'm originally from Lovington, New Mexico, a small oil town, uh, eastern southeastern part of the state, and uh, myself and and Brian Erlacher and his brother Casey Erlacher, and of course our whole team. But we grew up together, real small town. I think we had a total of maybe eight thousand, nine thousand people at the time, and we played uh, football together. We were uh, we went to the state championship. Would would have been my uh, sophomore year and lost to a rival Artesia. And we knew that everybody was pretty much coming back on that team offensively and even. We were young at the time. We had a good run. And that next year, we ended up going 14-0 and and winning the state championship over there in New Mexico. But, wow. yeah, grew up with Brian, great guy. Uh, of course, as I'm sure as everybody knows, he's a Hall of Famer now. Uh, spent 12 years in the league, was, <clears throat> was drafted ninth, ninth overall and uh, was Defensive Rookie of the Year his first year and went on to have a uh, really stellar career, which, you know, it, it's it's one thing to, to uh, get nominated and go through the voting process to be in the Hall of Fame, but to be a first-year ballot, that really says something about him and, and the people who, and the respect he has. Funny story, because we were at the Hall of Fame induction ceremony, and Brian Dawkins uh, played for Philadelphia, uh-huh. years ago and he was getting inducted at the same time well the whole there was i mean there's a whole mix of fans in the stadium but there there was an overwhelming amount of philadelphia fans and you know the reputation philadelphia fans have right and, right. and they lived up to every bit of it i'll be <laughs> honest with you but you know you're at a prestigious event you know it, it's a it's a really special event and and these fans are being loud, and, and and other people. There's older guys getting inducted, and they're being loud, and they're being and they're doing their chants while these other guys are speaking. But what caught me by surprise is when Brian got up there to speak, nobody said a word. Yeah, it was it was dead silent, and you could tell that he commanded that respect from everybody, regardless of where you were from, what your background was, and and. It was really something neat to see that when he got up there to speak, everybody kind of shut up and listened. And it was it was it was really cool. And you know, of course, he's he's gone on, you know, doing in the Super Bowl commercial, and you know, he does a lot of things. He's a big proponent of the Special Olympics. He does a lot for them in, in Albuquerque, of course, where he played college ball. 
and just as humble as you'll get. We he'd have a party every year for the Fourth of July at his house, and we'd go up there and just barbecue and have a good time. And right now he's he's he doesn't live in Chicago anymore. He moved down to to Arizona. Uh, I think probably because the weather's a lot nicer oh, down yeah, there. Yeah. But yeah, humble guy, great guy. Still keep in contact with him, and uh, just the same guy as he was in high school as he yeah. is now. Well, you know, you mentioned the thing that about the Hall of Fame and everybody sort of showing him that respect. And, and was that one of those things that he always had that quality of just kind of the guy with that presence that sort of commanded that respect? Or do you think that's something he picked up from uh, being in the league? Or, or where do you think that came no, from? No, he, he had it in high school. We all knew he was going to be something special, I think. And, you know, he had it He had it in high school, went on to college, went in lead, leading the nation in tackles his second year, I believe, and getting the all types of awards. And just from Charles Tillman, he's from Copper's Cove also. Mm-hmm. And and I talked to him when he was at the, he was at the Hall of Fame. And he always and not not only that time, but there was other been some, there's been other times where he said that Brian Brian's presence in the locker room was felt. You know, and, and if anything else, I mean, people knew that there's a time to play around because Brian's a huge jokester. Yeah. Loves to play pranks, loves to do all that stuff. But they knew when it was time to go to work, yeah. you know, and, 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 and they knew that he commanded that, that same respect. Well, coach, as we uh, get ready to wrap up, you know, I'm sure as we get into this, we get into the, uh, to the off season and, and a lot of guys are going to clinics and they're going to see different staffs <clears throat> and they're reading books and, and doing all these things. And as they look ahead to the next season and, and a way to, improve and get better so um share with us some things that that you're looking to do to improve uh on this offseason whether it be if you're uh your defensive line or you yourself as a coach um well one thing i do i did this past year is there's a book called chopping chop wood carry water oh yeah yeah and i don't know if you're familiar with it, but yep. we did that as a d-line we did that as a book study and it has nothing to do with football but everything to do with football you're right and we 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 went through that and we broke it down and, and for those of you who don't know it's it's basically a book about a, a kid wanting to become a master archer and going through the struggles and the different things he has to do to become uh, this master archer and the years it takes and he and the things you have to do and the patience you have to have going through injuries and the the greatest example I like in that book is when they're talking about um the bamboo tree yes and how you know every day you've got to water this tree water this tree water this tree and it's the same thing i preach those guys every day you've got to come to practice come to practice well it goes on that you're not going to see any results from that tree till two three four years down the road and then when it finally hits that thing's going to grow 40 or 50 feet within a year right you know and those guys that are that are coming to practice and, and especially especially for the ones that don't play as much, you know, it's hard for them to come because they know, and that's one thing I I I'm real honest with my players. I, I my first couple of years I learned real quick that you can't sugarcoat anything. Right. You can't because we try to stay in contact with the parents throughout the season, and I remember my first few years that. I had a kid that I talked to dad, oh, he's doing fine, doing good, but he would never see the field. And, and I, I realized I was giving this parent 
false hope that his son was going to play and, and the kid didn't have a chance. Right. So, right. you know, during the, during off season, during spring, during fall, whatever the case may be, I, I make sure every one of those kids know where they stand in the, in the, in the, in the depth chart. What's, what's going to happen in the spring. Cause I, I, it, 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 I think it's un- everywhere you go. It's unfortunate sometimes, but there's going to be some kids that are going to come every day to practice and not see a down. I mean, yeah. It, yeah, it's just the way it is sometimes. Unless you're up by fifty, you're down by fifty. You know, so t- teaching those kids that you got to put the time in. You may not see the results during the football. You may see the results when you graduate high school with your family, with your job, or whatever the case may be. Right. And and that's one thing I I always try. You know, I think you're in the same boat. I am. We're we're developing more than football players here. Right. And and you want to. So that's one thing we, we do. Well, we went over that book study. The the in terms of scheme wise, Rusty Nell, he's the head coach. Oh yeah. Or he yeah. was the head coach. He's just now the athletic director in Madisonville. Now. Yeah. He started this last year where he just invited area coaches to come on Thursday nights and he has an offensive player, I mean offensive coach talk offense, a defensive coach, and then he'll have a head coach talk about program or culture. And it's a free, free clinic. And uh, he just invites. So we go to that. We went to one last week, picked up a few things here and there. Being in it for 17 years, you're not going to change a whole lot of scheme-wise. Right. But if, if you can pick up just a little something to add it to, to help you be a better coach, that's what I'm looking for. We're going to the Lone Star Clinic this weekend. I'll look for just maybe one or two things that can fit into what we do and, and be able to incorporate it for our kids. Yeah, coach, that's awesome. I, I think that, uh, you know, especially here from, you know, someone who's been doing it for 17 years to still be having that mentality, that growth mindset, which I think that's still in a term from Chopwood carry water. Um, yes. to have that mindset of, of, you know, what, what I, you know, always improving and, and going back to that book. Yeah. I did the same thing. I, I kind of stumbled on it a couple of years ago and read it. And then that was the spring coming into that, that season and we were coming off a really rough year and, and so we didn't read it as a, as a defensive line, but I shared a lot of the passages, and we we mm-hmm. kept we kept the journal that he mentioned um, mm-hmm. in that book uh, with 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 our D line guys. And we did that again this year, and so uh, that's been for sure a, a really a game changer that book has for us. I what know. A, what a, what does your journal entail? Uh, so so yeah, what, what it is, and I think this is. He, he mentions the uh, the his the, the kids uh, writing sensei. down the things. He's good yeah, at, there was there was things. so what we would do is Saturdays after we watch the game or while we're watching the the the, the, the game from the previous night, um, they write down um, and I think it's fifteen, but I can't I can't remember. I may have right. that wrong. Fifteen things they did right, and that's the hardest thing for them to come up with. And starting out the year, I'm just saying, hey, come up with as many as you can, and right. I, and it may be something like. You know, and when I say go back to, to Monday, anything this whole week, you know, what, what's something you did good? Maybe it was in one one rep of, of a drill we did on Monday, you know, or maybe you encouraged or maybe you made it every day this week, and that's kind of been a struggle for you. Uh, but just to find those things. And then it, was, then it was three things that they need to work on, they need to improve on, and then um, two things they learned. And, and really, I didn't go back and read through those every week. I kind of wanted that to be their deal. But yeah. I've seen some as guys as guys have left some things that they wrote, and it was really cool to see that and and sort of again because everybody it's really easy and it, we're our own worst critics to pick out all the things they did bad or all the things they did wrong 
And so mm-hmm. I think it's important for them to look at, you know, things that they did right so they can um, stay motivated and stay hungry. And so that's what we did. Um, and actually, that same author has a, has a book that co- they came out after that, um, Pound the Stone, which I read this yeah. past offseason, which is I also have, very I good. I haven't read that one, but I saw I saw that he yeah, had it. Yeah, that's a great one. That's that's a good one also. Uh, as, as as you kind of build on that on the concepts in that first book. So, well, that sounds like some great stuff, Coach, and and really looking forward to uh, what you guys are going to be doing this next year. And, and I know it sounds like y'all are uh, got it rolling. And I know you guys uh, have, have have plenty coming back. Have a lot of room for optimism, reason for optimism uh, in 2019. So good luck to you, and thank you so much for coming on and talking to us today. Well, I appreciate it, Coach Elliott. I like what you're doing, and I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing the other guys you have on and, and maybe picking up something from what they what they do at practice or what they do in offseason. And I think what you're doing is really, really cool. Well, thanks, Coach. I appreciate it. And that'll do it for this episode. Thanks again to Coach Cobra from Huntsville High School for talking with us. You can follow Coach Cobra on Twitter at CoachCober120. That's at Coach K-O-B-E-R-120. Speaking of Joshua Metcalf and shop boy Kerry Water, our quote of the day comes from his book, and it is, Some people think you shine under the bright lights, but the bright lights only reveal your work in the dark. Thanks for giving us a listen, and until next time, keep your pads down.